Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are here to talk all things SmackDown and Raw, a loaded week once again, but we're also in this weird zone where... Not that many other things are happening in the world of WWE. We didn't have any major breaking news or controversies this week. We don't have a pay-per-view to preview. We're still three weeks away from Survivor Series. So this is going to be one of the more normal episodes of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast that you are going to hear for better or worse. Maybe we can keep it as a short show today. We will find out in a moment after we take care of business right here on your favorite podcast. Because folks... Do not forget that getting over. So please go out there. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Just go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating. Leave a review for us. Tell people why you love this show. Um, You know, tell them why they should be listening, why they should subscribe, what you like best about it, that I'm the greatest podcast host of all time, that Chris is the greatest uh, second man of all time. I mean, you just say whatever you want. Just tell people they need to listen. Hey, again, our last review is just the meat emoji and it says thick meat. That's a five star review. I'll take it. All right. You guys leave those reviews. I will be sure to read them live on this podcast Uh, unless you don't want me to. You know, I can always not do that, but. Yeah, leave those five-star reviews. We will read them here. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are so damn close to that 1,000 subscriber mark. I know how many of you listen to the show. I know how many of you probably use Twitter. And I know how many followers we have. And those numbers are not equal by any means. So please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, you know, we, we can talk about a lot of wrestling on today's show. And I'm sure we will. But we're taping just a couple days after Halloween. And I think just like a local newscast uh, would, I think it's the obligatory conversation we need to have. First of all, did you dress up for Halloween? Second of all, if you did not, what is your favorite Halloween candy? I did not dress up this year. The combination of uh, football, Halloween happening on the weekend. I was just busy with a lot of things at all times. But um, I, uh, Halloween candy, to me, without a doubt, Number one candy, the face that runs the place. It's Reese's I'm scared. peanut butter. I'm scared for this answer, by the way. It's the Reese's peanut butter cups. Okay. Okay. I think that's a it, solid it, answer. Yeah. It, it, to, to me, it's not even close, but what's your answer? Well, so I draw a little bit of a distinction between, and you guys know I'm finicky about stuff like this, right? Like, I believe a, gr- a faction or a stable has to be four people, right? Or, and a group is three or, you know, or less. So I also have a distinction when it comes to Halloween candy. I think a lot of, Candy that is sold in stores is not Halloween candy. So, for example, um, one of my favorite candy, I barely eat candy, but one of my favorite is the Take Five bar. But that's not really a standardized Halloween candy. When I look at Halloween candy, I'm at the Milky Ways and the Butterfingers and the Reese's and the M&M's, candy corn, Sour Patch Kids, things that people actually buy and put in bags. Most people are not buying those certain extravagant type of candy bars, the um, the whatchamacallit or the take five or the, 
you know, is what I'm saying making sense? Like, yeah, that there's, a, there's a more common. Uh, yeah, ha- Halloween is for the basic candies. Uh, right, the, ba- I mean, the basic you're, candies. You're not going out of your way for the take five, which is a, a very good choice. Is the very top good. candy. It's a very underrated candy, but M- massively. But, yeah, you, you, you for for Halloween, you, you're giving it to the kids. You want to have a mass appeal type of candy. Right. So like I, I think I, my yeah. favorite, my number one favorite candy of all time doesn't exist anymore. First of all, it's it was called Butterfinger BBs and it came yeah. out during a very short period of time while we were growing up. It, um, yeah. Um, it's so essentially. My... Yeah. It's essentially you're looking for the candy that gets the most on Halloween. You want the candy that has the most viewers. You're not going for the key demo necessarily. Correct. Basically. And for that yeah. reason, I'm going to actually completely agree with you. It's the Reese's peanut butter cup. It is. The best Halloween candy. They're small. Often when you get a handful of them when you're a kid, you get more than you would the other pieces of candy because, they, you know, people think that they need to give you more of them because they're smaller. So the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, it's also versatile. Put in the refrigerator, the freezer, you can eat it warm. It, it just, it, it absolutely kicks ass. But on that note, like I was saying, so the Butterfinger BB back in the day used to be my number one favorite candy. I think today, and this is a separate conversation, I guess, from the Halloween candy. I think my number one favorite candy right now is the peanut butter M&M. It is basically the perfect piece of candy. It is the shell, so you can like play around with it. It has chocolate and it has peanut butter and it's all in one little uh, device or receptacle, whatever you want to call that. Delivery system. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I don't, I'm not a big candy guy week to week. So I, I'm typically only eating around Halloween. So I, I think I need to try out some of these new candies. Peanut butter M&M sounds great. Also sounds like Reese's Pieces. Have you not had peanut butter M&M's? I, I have. I can't remember last. I'm sure I have. I, okay, because I, I mean, if you haven't. They, first of all, they've been around for a while, but they are just right. incredible. They are. And yeah. they're not They're not like Reese's Pieces because Reese's Pieces are small M&M sized, regular M&M sized. These are actually big. And like I said, it's chocolate and peanut butter. And you can break the chocolate and peanut butter apart from each other in the candy, like when it's in your mouth. So you can have fun with it, play around. It's a five star. It's it's a five star candy, the, the peanut butter m M&M. and I, I will definitely check that out. Okay. Just like Absolutely. you'll check out Rounders and uh, some of these movies that you still haven't seen. Have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? Did we go over that one or not? Yes. Okay. It's been forever, but I've seen it. <laughs> yes. Well, the you know, the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams tweeted a... Uh, rounders gif over the weekend or or, or, i'm sorry yesterday uh because they traded for von miller and my first thought was i can't believe chris hasn't seen this movie what what's the reference um so it's the movie largely is about poker and i know what the movie is like i'm familiar with it i just i haven't seen oh okay so i mean what is that how does it tie into von miller oh oh because the gif was uh this character john malkovich plays in the movie kenny kgb oh oh, pushing all his chips in the middle so it was them saying we're going all in i've seen that i've seen that i i i get most of these things i it's just funny that you haven't seen that we're we're, well you know once once the football season's over we will do a chris vanini um uh movie report like a book report weekly maybe we'll we'll get you to watch certain movies and then report back whether you agree that they're hyped or not or something. We'll, we'll figure I, it out. I'm down for it. I'm down for it. All right. Fantastic. Uh, I would say that I would do the same thing, except the only thing I have not watched is Star Wars and I refuse to watch it. So maybe you can find some other movies that I haven't seen and I'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll go through it. All right. Let's, let's get to wrestling. That's enough about candy and movies. Um, look, so this was an interesting week in WWE. Smackdown on Friday. It was a solid show from start to finish. I did not find one singular thing that stood out about it. And 
In fact, when I was coming up with our booking of today's show, I had to force a main event out of it. Roman Reigns wasn't on the episode at all, despite being in the arena and wrestling the dark match. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. SmackDown, I thought, just was uneventful, I guess is the best way to put it. Raw, on the other hand, Monday night, I gotta say, and maybe I'm forgetting an episode. I know we had Biggie win the WWE title on a Raw. We've had some good Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre stuff on Raws recently. I thought it was the best Raw of 2021, as far as at least I can remember. And one of our listeners, Jeremy Smith, he put it together pretty succinctly. He said, on Raw, the wrestling was really good. The psychology was really good. But most impressively, the backstage and extraneous stuff all made sense. There was great character work from everybody, and they articulated their motivations and personalities really well. Do you think the top stars were allowed to work primarily unscripted? Rollins, Owens, Big E, Becky, Rey Mysterio, and even Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode all felt really authentic in the work they did on Monday night. And it got me thinking, you know, I don't think they worked unscripted, but there's a chance that some change was made on Raw. Bullet points, or or maybe it's just when you read those names and you say the Rollins and the Owens and the Beckys, Big E, Rey Mysterio is obviously a veteran, Ziggler and Roode, both veterans. Those are all people who maybe just happen to have longer leashes in WWE, and they all just happen to be featured on the show. Therefore, it kind of came together in this really unique amalgamation of semi-reality. I don't know what yeah. it was, but everything on Raw worked. Um, I, there's a couple bads in our Good, Bad, and Ugly that we'll get to, but I was entertained for three hours. There was a very short lull period uh, after about 100 minutes into the show. I almost couldn't believe how much I was enjoying Raw on Monday. Yeah, it got to the end, and I was like, oh, that was actually pretty good. I, you you were like kind of waiting for major lulls, waiting for some terrible yeah. things, and no, nothing was spectacular. There weren't major big moments, but everything just worked, and I, I think that explanation of just reality in the sense that everybody kind of feels like a real person and they're acting like the way a real person would goes a long way. And there's no better example of this than Kevin Owens in the way he gives promos, the way he, his facial reactions during a match, he connects with the crowd because he feels like a regular person out there when things are going on. And that, that you got that from a lot of people on Monday and it made for an enjoyable show. Yeah, KO was the star of the show, as far as I'm concerned. And we'll talk about yeah. that yeah. later and maybe what that means also a little bit later. But yeah, it just everything worked. I mean, I guess what it was for me is there was no one minute, 50 second women's match to get angry about. Mm -hmm. There was no carrying cross in a stupid gladiator outfit. Uh, the 24-7 stuff was contained to a single backstage segment. Um, th there was just nothing on the show I mean, there, again, there were some things I didn't like, of course, but there was nothing on the show where I was turned off and made me wonder why I was watching the product. And there's been so many Raws in 2021 that are filled with that shit. Like, not mm -hmm. you get a taste, but like two of the three hours are why the hell do I watch this show? It's all rematches. It's all short matches. It's all, it seemed like almost 
someone had tapped into my brain on Monday and said, what would you like to see from WWE? And then they put it on the television in front of me. And honestly, I, I cannot tell you the last time that's happened, even with SmackDown. And it's also interesting because Survivor Series is coming up. That's the next pay-per-view. We're coming out of Crown Jewel, but it doesn't really, we're not, we're not building to that because you can't really build to that. Exactly. It, it, yes. And, and, and so you have to have interesting stuff happen solely within your show, knowing you're not going to have a big pay-per-view to pay it off and not have a big pay-per-view in December to pay it off. Right, it's two what, months is, without a pay-per-view. Which yeah. is what we talked about, and we were unsure how WWE would be able to handle the week-to-week of that, um, as at least as it relates to this Raw and a little bit of SmackDown. Um, it's a good step in the right direction. Yeah, and, and when I said two months without a pay-per-view, I mean two months without brand, you know, internal, intra-brand matches on pay-per-view. So Raw versus Raw, SmackDown versus SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, let's get to... The rest of the show and the way we begin that is by sliding into the main event. And I didn't really mention it off the top, but despite us taping this around noon Eastern, it's very much ladies night uh, here on getting over. Two of the three segments are focused around the women and really it was going to be the entire main event until we got what we got on Raw with Big E and the WWE Championship. So let's start with SmackDown and kind of go in order here. Uh, Charlotte Flair opened the show putting herself over as the face of the women's division, the face of WWE, the most accomplished woman in history. She said she would build up the division around her. Sasha Banks came out, said Charlotte is not a leader. She holds others down. Charlotte said someone besides Sasha deserves a chance for a change, leading Shotzi Blackheart to come out and take that offer as Sasha stayed at ringside during the match. So we got Charlotte versus Shotzi in a champion contenders match a term that was only used for this match, despite there being multiple non-title matches uh, across both SmackDown and Raw. Shotzi hit an insiguri and a running cannonball for a near fall. She was short on a really rough-looking Tope Suicida. Shotzi then got a top rope Huracarana for a near fall. Flair botched a momentum splash outside. Shotzi took Charlotte off the ropes with a double underhook German suplex bridge for a near fall, and was like, holy shit, that was an awesome move. Flair caught her with a backbreaker, face buster, and a landed standing moonsault for a near fall. Sasha then jumped on the ring apron, trying to distract Flair, but also distracting Shotzi. Charlotte took advantage of that with natural selection for the win in about 12 minutes. The crowd in this match was all about Shotzi. She got three separate face chants. This, despite her barely being on television on the main roster since getting called up. So of course... After getting her over as a face against the top heel in the company, WWE books a heel turn. Shotzi shoves and screams at Sasha after the bell, attacking her from behind with a pretty massive beatdown, to be fair, throwing her into the tank and then hitting an avalanche senton to end the second. So I have two minds on this, giving Shotzi and Flair 12 minutes, letting them go with an excusable loss. It was a great piece of booking, and it was honestly refreshing given how short WWE women's matches have been recently. But turning Shotzi heel, I think she'll make it work, but nothing about her really is heelish. Does she have to be heel because she's alternative? Kind of like Ruby Riot was frequently a heel just because she looked a little bit different. I don't know. I mean, she got cheered all match and then WWE, I think, piped in booze after the finish. I'm not angry over it. I'm a little bothered by it. Another negative, I think Shotzi lost her last name. 
Shotzi Blackheart is a great wrestling name. Yeah. Shotzi isn't bad necessarily. We'll get used to it just like we got used to Riddle uh, and just like we got used to Otis and things like that. But you have Shotzi Blackheart right there for you. Why not go with it? It's a damn good name, especially if you're turning her heel. The last name Blackheart, Blackheart, <laughs> negative, bad, heel. So why would you get rid of it at this point? So I'm not angry. I'm not saying it was bad. It was really, really good that Shotzi got time in the sun with Charlotte. And if there, she's going into a feud with Sasha, that's awesome for her as well. But I did want to point out some of those things that just, they make you scratch your head. Yeah. I, when this started and we were, they were going to give us Shotzi and Charlotte, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's, 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 it's a fresh matchup. Like, this is what we talk about. And honestly, the, the, the women's division over the last couple of months, it's been we've we've had a lot of good main event matches, but it's been the same for people fighting each other. So for Shotzi to get this opportunity, I was like, finally, she's been here for two months and barely gotten to do anything. This is great. Match was fun. Match was great. Loved it. Everything was good. And then the the then heel turn or whatever flipping out of Sasha is weird because Sasha's not a face. I, I I mean between the three of them here. I guess they're positioning Sasha as the face because Charlotte's the heel and now yes, yes. Shotzi is too. But like Sasha as a face right now is strange considering everything Sasha has done throughout this entire year. And she's just better as a heel. But Sasha's got to be that, you know, the, the main event is going to be the same handful of women. So Sasha's going to be that spot now, I guess. And that was disappointing because like you said, the crowd was really behind Shotzi. Like, this was a great moment to start a new face women's wrestler for people to get behind and get to know. And instead, we have to not like her because she's the heel. So, disappointing. Honestly, I don't... This is kind of a larger issue, but I don't care to see Sasha Charlotte because we've seen it for two months as part of the the the, the mix of everything. And, and it's... I was hoping to get new challengers and we're going to get that on raw, but well, I think everything we're getting is a holdover. Basically. I think they're interim feuds. And by the way, that's sure. okay. The, Th- that's the, what, that's fine. Yeah. But, but I is, so is Sasha Charlotte, the, the interim feud now? No, I think, um, Sasha Shotzi is the interim feud possibly with Shotzi winning. You know, maybe Flair, because the, the real feud is Flair and Banks. We know that, right? That's where you're going to end up, whether it's at day one in January, whether it's at the Royal Rumble. That is the goal to get the Flair-Banks feud back on track. So I think what may happen is Charlotte costs Sasha the match against Shotzi. Shotzi gets the win. Maybe she gets an actual title opportunity. It's a heel versus heel. I, I don't exactly know what they're going to do. The biggest problem, and I, I, I want to save this uh, for when we talk about the Raw women's segment, mm-hmm. The biggest issue is WWE needs more legitimate women and they haven't created them. And, right. and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that is showing itself here. But you're, what you said is really correct. It's Sasha, first of all, when did she become the face? Well, she became the face because Flair's the heel. And Flair is such a monster heel that anyone opposing her automatically has to be a face. But the biggest issue with Sasha is you never, there's never really a transition. Like, it's the boss character, and it's whether that character is likable or not at a given Mm -hmm. time. At least when it came to, 
let's say The Rock, for example, there was an inflection point. There was always something that happened that led to The Rock turning face. Another heel he was working with really pissed him off. So he went after him, and then he starts cutting promos that are face promos, and the crowd starts getting behind him. And The Rock called himself the people's champion. And he, correct, (laughs) he would call himself the people's champion. Sasha could do something similar. Like, I'm here, I may be the boss, but I'm here for you. I'm here to, you know, show what women's wrestling is all about on this brand. She can do that, or she should be able to do that, but she never does. It's always the same, you know, nose up boss character. It's just whether WWE wants to book it. It's a perpetual tweener, basically. Do they want to go heel with it or do they want to go face with it? They just make a decision and then you as a fan are supposed to go along with it, which is why people, some people always cheer Sasha because they like her and WWE doesn't really give you a reason to hate her unless maybe in the Bianca Belair feud, they did a good job with that. So I think that's the bigger issue. But what I would have loved to have seen from this segment, Chris, is since they're going in the heel direction with Shotzi and she took out Banks, which presumably would have made Charlotte happy, right? I would have loved to have seen almost a reverse Undertaker John Cena moment backstage where Shotzi's walking into Gorilla after beating down Sasha. Charlotte had just left ringside from her match. She's in there. She Maybe she's watching it happen on, on screen. Shotzi walks by her. Charlotte gives her props, not just on their match, but for taking out Sasha. Something simple. Good job. She deserved it. I got my eye on you now. That would go a really long way to getting Shotzi over in general, because another heel would be saying, hey, I like those heel tactics you did. Good for you. Keep it up. And I think little things like that can take a WWE storyline and make it from from mediocre to make it very good. Yeah, no, it it really, my biggest issue with just WWE storytelling in general is that they're not far off on these things. It's just they don't have those little things that go they're along so with close. Like, like yes. what you just said. Like it, yes. they they set it all up with these incredible productions and, and everything like that, but then they just like miss the little things that make the little that make the big differences. So overall, I mean, overall, great to see Shotzi getting an increased role. That that is certainly yes. a positive yes. um, in 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 the in the big picture of things. So let's move over to the Raw side with the women's division. Uh, We had the Raw Women's Championship open the show, Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. Both women, I thought, cut great promos in gorilla position, with Lynch talking about how hard she worked to get back in shape uh, after being pregnant. She's doing two jobs now, being mother and being WWE uh, champion for the Raw Women's division, and that no one really actually appreciates her. I thought they were extremely strong promos that set the tone for a really important match. Sometimes simple storylines and promos are good. And both of these for me, Chris, really hit the mark. Yeah, they, they, they were good. They were certainly good. And, and, you know, WWE's trying these different kinds of promos, doing the interview backstage as opposed to a promo in front of the, you know, looking at the camera and then you walk out. I think it generally works. I, I think when they have someone to talk to as opposed to the camera, it, it, it just it kind of makes it easier to deliver. My only thing is, is with Becky is that like a, a, a lot of that was kind of a face promo, <laughs> you know, like doing two jobs as the champion and a mom and you know coming back from pregnancy. And I think that's kind of one thing that's um I've been a little unsure about since Becky came back is that she is 
she's really being a tweener. She's not being a heel. There are moments that she does things, but she does a lot of face things to get pops from the crowd. And, you know, I I don't know if that helps Bianca or not in the long run. Right. That's true. And people have made that argument and we can talk about that on the back end of the match. So we get the match to open the show. It's back and forth early. Lynch caught Belair in a really cool butterfly style disarmor. I thought it was a nice tweak to her normal submission. Then she got a couple near falls. Belair rolled through a suplex into a delayed vertical suplex for a near fall. Bianca countered Becky into a turnover gut buster for another. Lynch countered a glam slam into a 2.5 count. And then Belair lifted Lynch over the ropes while in the disarm her, which was a very cool show of strength. Bianca then press slammed Lynch off the top rope, but Becky got her knees up on a handstand moonsault. Belair ate the manhandle slam, but got her foot on the bottom rope as Becky tried to fall. Belair caught Lynch sliding out of the ring and dropped her face first onto the announce table for a two count. Then she hit the glam slam for a 2.5. Becky held onto the top rope and ripped a turnbuckle off right as Belair was trying a KOD off the top rope. Then Lynch ran uh, Bianca into the exposed turnbuckle and got a deep roll up with a handful of tights for the win in just under 19 minutes. Straight up, one of the best opens to Raw of this year. The promos were strong. The match was pay-per-view quality, really damn good. 4.25 stars and an A. You give me a little bit less of a roll-up type of finish, like a really super clean finish. You're at 4.5, maybe even higher. This No bullshit finish here. A perfect heel finish, I thought, in fact. Uh, there was even extra juice on the roll-up with the tights. So they protected Bel Air, not once with the uh, shot into the turnbuckle, but twice with the tights you know, being grabbed on the roll-up in the loss. Uh, everything about this worked. My one gripe was the two commercial breaks that took away almost a third of the match. Raw, like during all this time where we see AEW go commercial free or we see Raw uh, NXT go commercial free for a short period of time, Raw is the one show where the first 30 minutes should be commercial free while they're going up against Monday night football. It's the perfect time of year to do that. And if they had done it, we would have seen a 20-minute full match between two of the best women in the world. It was still a fantastic match. Like I said, 4.25 stars and an A. We can talk about the feud and what's going to happen after that. But dude, from what we got, the promos, the match, it was just a fantastic open to Raw, I got to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, These two continue to deliver every time they're in the ring. Bianca continues to get better and better at promos, and she is so clearly a main eventer for this company continues to be presented as such. Um, But you knew, considering this was the opening to Raw, how it was probably going to end. And that takes us into the finish. And I don't know what what, what you had lined up to talk about it, but... Well, what do you you mean by that? Because I think what people expected to start Raw was that there would be a disqualification... And that we would then get the match again in the main event. Because that's what WWE's done recently. That, you know, and they they did not play to that expectation. They actually did the opposite. They gave us I'll say I, I didn't expect finish. Bianca. To, I, I'll, I'll say I, I expected I expected Becky to get away in some form, whether it was DQ, whether it was cheating or, or, or something. I, I, I didn't see it specifically playing out that way, but I didn't expect Bianca to get her, you know, her. Oh, her, no, her no, thing. definitely not. Yeah, yeah. I, this played to expectation in terms of, Becky retaining the title. I mean, if, if they were, we've said this, if they were going to change the title, they should have done it to the championship a week right. ago or two weeks ago when she fought Charlotte right. in a match that she obviously should have won that had 
one of the worst finishes of the year with that chair right. DQ. Yeah. Um, so that so, was terrible. Yeah. yeah. Now, as far as so, this, as yeah. far as this, look, I have no doubt, Chris, that WWE is going to go back to this feud soon. It's the same thing I was saying about uh, Charlotte and Sasha. But what WWE accomplished here was they created a reason for Bel Air to at least temporarily be out of the title picture. Whether that's only through Survivor Series into the day one pay-per-view, that would make a lot of sense, by the way, as a spot for her to win, or perhaps even longer to the Royal Rumble or even WrestleMania, that works to create that separation. The only thing that's going to bother me is if they go right back to it next week. But given stuff that we saw shortly thereafter, which we'll talk about separately, I don't think that's the case. Yes, I I, I think regardless of when this comes back, this is this is Bianca taking another loss and she has gotten opportunity after opportunity after opportunity here to win her title back from Becky and is not getting it done. And I, I that doesn't hurt her standing, you know, in WWE. But just as a character and as watching this, Becky's right. Bianca should be be at the back of the line. Like, I know she keeps getting cheated out of some of these, but like at some point, you know, that's on you for this continuing to keep happening. And I'd like to now see. I'm curious to see what happens next with Bianca. I need to see some fire that she's pissed off. I need to see her be reflective that this keeps happening to her. We need some character growth now at this point beyond just. I'm the EST and I'm a great athlete. Like now that she's had this happen to her multiple times, she's got to go into a deeper storyline here. And I'm, and I, I think that's where her character needs to go next. I agree with that. Um, having that character development for Bianca as part of what she does next is absolutely going to be key. Um, but I, I am cautiously optimistic that they're going to give her that separation away from Becky and away from the title. And part of that is because Becky was interviewed later on in the show about her heel tactics and said, what's more important is not how she won. It's that half the fans were booing her just because she's on top. She said, there's nothing wrong with doing whatever it takes to retain the title. And that Bianca is out of her league and now at the back of the line. So then Liv Morgan steps up But Becky rolls her eyes, shrugs, and walks away. So you guys probably are sitting there thinking to yourself, the Silver King is about to get so excited that Liv Morgan is getting a push. Not exactly. I I wish I could be really excited. The problem with WWE and the problem with their booking of the entire women's division is they have given Liv Morgan zero Credibility. Zero point zero. And none of that is her fault. But she has no credibility as a world championship, which is this is the equivalent of challenger right now. After beating Carmella at Extreme Rules, in a very good match, by the way, eight-minute match, we both praised it. She lost two consecutive matches to Mella in a combined four minutes. A combined four minutes. Also, she's lost recently to Zelina Vega. So This woman who we thought could have won Money in the Bank, who we thought could have won Queen's Crown, but did win a pay-per-view match, which was nice to see, has then lost three other matches surrounding that. And now they want to elevate her up and they want to give her a reason to step up to Becky Lynch. 
That's WWE's biggest problem with the women's division. Since WWE does not care to properly book the mid-card, it doesn't elevate anyone. It doesn't develop legitimate challengers, which means it always has to keep using those same five or six women. And you know the women. It's the four horse women, Asuka, uh, Bianca Belair now, and recently Rhea Ripley. So I mentioned all those women because those women, with the exception of Bailey, who's injured, are the ones active and available right now. There are a couple, couple others. Asuka, who's out injured. Nia Jax, who's out injured. Alexa Bliss, who's out injured. So all these women that they should have had that can be those second, second tier women that they often will elevate, they don't have them. And it shows how bad a job they've done with the mid card to the low mid card in the women's division with these squash matches, with not booking certain women to get wins to actually build them up into number one contenderships that now you have Liv Morgan stepping up and you're looking at her like, why the hell do you deserve a title match when you can't beat Carmella in a two minute match? So trust me, I want to love the idea of Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. Liv doesn't even need to win the title. Maybe this will be the feud that shows WWE, Vince McMahon, Bruce Prichard, whoever, that Liv deserves more chances. And then she can become credible in the future. But the problem is she isn't right now. And it's their fault. And it's a lack of planning. Why is Carmella not the one getting this title shot? Why is She's she the one who won the matches, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 there's, like, this is why you have to plan these things out. Like, you can't just... Uh, all right, Liv, we'll give Liv the title shot now. Well, she just lost the last couple of weeks. You, did, you didn't plan this right. So it, it again comes to long-term planning, which is not typically something this company does very much when it comes to its storylines. So, you know, just I just want to get it clear. I, I'm excited that they're going away from Bianca, even though I love Bianca. She'll find something yes. to do. I'm excited that Becky Lynch has a new challenger. I'm excited and happy for her personally that Liv Morgan is getting the opportunity. But again, yes. uh, it, it's it's circumstantial, right? It's just like you had her win that pay-per-view match. Why don't you have her beat Carmella twice more? And then she can say, hey, look, I have three straight wins. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a real good reason to have a title match anyway, but at least you'd have something to say. And it, it, it's it, we're happy with the we're happy with the situation. We're not happy with the process, because when the right. process doesn't matter, then it doesn't feel like you need to watch because it doesn't matter. It does not matter that we saw Carmella beat Liv Morgan two, three times in a row with the mask because now Carmella's in a tag team and Liv's getting a title shot. Like, what was the point of any of that? And that's the problem with making your process mean something. Exactly. Right. Uh, and and I should also note, Becky did cut a promo on Raw Talk. I do not watch that show anymore because they ruined it. But I did happen to see it on social media. And she was asked about Liv Morgan. And she actually gave a great answer. She goes, well, Liv wants us to watch her. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. She's like, you know, she basically insinuated Liv hasn't done shit. So why should I care about her? And that is completely true. So look, I, I truly, you guys know, Liv is probably one of like, I don't know, three women in WWE that, that we constantly talk about, just not getting opportunities they truly deserve. I'm very excited she's getting an opportunity. I really hope it's not a one week deal that she like gets a title match next week, loses, and then that's it. I hope they yeah. actually make a three or four week storyline out of it. As you said, do something outside of summer, um, Survivor Series where you can have a storyline that exists solely on television, a feud that exists solely on television. And ultimately, if she gets a match and has a great 
15-minute match with Becky and loses, that's going to be completely fine. Hopefully, she'll have the opportunity to show other people, hey, why don't you include me in this division and actually treat me like a real wrestler versus just one of those pieces that you just move around the chessboard or not even the chessboard, the checkerboard and casually throw away when you don't need her anymore. That's my hope. All right. Let's move to the third part of the main event. We'll give the men an opportunity to get in here. And it's on Raw because, again, nothing major happened with the men on SmackDown. Uh, Seth Rollins cut a promo uh, with his new contract saying he was drafted to be the face of Raw. Rollins was set to read the fine print of the contract when Big E came out to a bunch of chants saying Rollins disrespected him last week. Rollins reminded that Big E told him to earn a title shot. So he did. But while he respected Big E, he's just not on Rollins level. Rollins insulted Kingwoods and made fun of Kofi Mania, and Big E got particularly pissed at Kofi Mania comments and offered a title match tonight on the show to a huge pop. Rollins, of course, turned it down because he said he's not 100% healthy, and that led Kevin Owens out to debate that he's the face of Raw, and people were talking about his performance in the ladder match over Rollins actually winning the ladder match, which is true, by the way. Uh, He said, whether it's three more months, and that's when his contract ends, or three more years, which is the length of a normal WWE extension, he's there to give his all. So KO challenged Big E, who said, this isn't Mount Rushmore, where you can have multiple faces, and accepted. Rollins later offered KO help with a promise he'd get the first WWE title shot uh, if he allowed him to help him. Owens said Rollins can watch, but if he gets involved, he'll get his ass kicked. Rollins then mocked Owens' just keep fighting mantra, saying that got him nowhere on SmackDown and it's going to get him nowhere on Raw. All of these were great segments. All three guys got over in the first one and it worked both if you got the three inside baseball references that I just explained or if you did not. Mount Rushmore was the name of a faction Kevin Owens was in with Adam Cole and the Young Bucks in the Independence. So you have Biggie mentioning that. You have Kevin Owens talking about three months, the time on his contract or three years how long it would be if he did an extension with WWE. I don't think that revealed anything about his plans, but it was a nice setup to a strong main event. And like I said, it worked whether you got the references or you didn't. The second reference um, or the second um, segment, I'm sorry, that I was talking about set up a possible heel turn for Owens, given the look on his face when he basically acknowledged that Rollins was right about Kevin Owens constantly losing. So I thought the setup for the storyline and the setup for the match was all exceptionally solid. Yeah, it, it was. And I, I say this all the time, but the pop when Kevin Owens comes out is just different than yep. a lot of people. It's different than Big E's too. And part of that's the music. I know the way it hits. It's it's just different. But everybody is always captivated by this guy. And this was great to see from him because, man, the last month or two, he has seemed very just kind of out of it and not had a lot of energy. He's been involved in some Corbin stuff. He's just kind of floating around. Did not seem to have a lot of passion. And then he come, he's got a main event type story here on Raw, and he is right back to that intensity and that energy that everybody uh, just connects to with him and delivered great promo talk on the work, the three months or three years. Like you said, a nice little nod to... Who knows what his future is, but it was more than anything a reminder that this is a guy you can throw into a main event feud at any time and people will be into it, really into it. And he's a guy who deserves a world title run. Absolutely. Another one at some point. So I don't know if it's going to happen. Clearly, 
you know, he doesn't either and may not be around to, but it was just a reminder of just how Kevin Owens is just <clears throat> a different guy. He is. Things feel different when he's on television. And he's one of the reasons why Raw felt different on Monday night. So we got Big E versus KO in the main event. Uh, it got hot with Big E missing a splash on the ring apron, Owens hitting a running cannonball off the apron, and then a senton at ringside when Rollins' music finally hit. KO later hit a huge senton bomb to the middle of the ring for a near fall. E caught Owens running with a Uranagi for a 2.5 count. E then got double knees up to stop another senton bomb and hit his tope spear. Rollins then sucker punched E. Owens hesitated, but saw it and tried to cover him. E escaped by turning that over into a crucifix pinfall for the win. E then called KO out after the match for taking advantage of Rollins' shot. KO got a mic and called Rollins a son of a bitch for laughing and challenged him next week at the same time. He apologized to Big E like five times, but Big E not only didn't accept the apology, but picked him up for a big ending to end the show. So starting with the match, 3.5 stars, but perhaps more important than the 3.5 stars and a B, we got some meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. And I'm going to give that four slabs of beef as my second rating. Uh, another strong piece of booking. The champion got the win. The loser got an excuse. We have a two-part storyline developing, giving us a reason to tune in next week, which we almost never have. I want to watch Raw next week to see what happens in this yeah. feud. Um, the f one problem I had was I don't know what Biggie's expectation was. Like, KO's in a match, right? So what's he supposed to do? Like, wait for Biggie to get up when yeah. Rollins hits him and play fair? He's in the middle of a match. So I don't, from a kayfabe standpoint, I don't know what the expectation was. Now, also, Arun, our listener at uh, Arun, his, his username is Vindaloo Diesel, uh, tweeted that he 100% expected an Owens stunner. So he's interested in the zag of the big ending as opposed to the zig. And I think he nailed it. Look, it's clear this is all leading to a KO heel turn, as I said earlier. You may think the big ending to a face to end raw is a heel move. But while Big E does not need an edge, this makes him look like a smart champion. Sort mm -hmm. of like how they booked Drew McIntyre. Yes. Playing against expectation here is a positive. Owens has proven throughout his entire WWE career, he cannot be trusted. From the Sami Zayn stuff, both in NXT and the main roster, to Big O, which he did directly against New Day, turning on Chris Jericho, the Triple H screw job on Rollins, KO then being unable to escape his past because no one will give him that opportunity, Big E in particular, is a great reason to turn heel. So all parts of this actually totally worked for me. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's a lot to break down there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let, let's, start with the end of, <laughs> let's start with the end of the match. You know, Rollins interferes. Kevin Owens isn't sure if he should take advantage of it or not because he's trying to be a good guy. He's trying to have some honor and some dignity. But there's a part of him that says you got to take advantage. And so he does it. It costs him. And the best part of this whole thing was as soon as Kale loses and he sits up and the look on his face of like, ah, crap, I blew it. I, I, I blew it in two different ways. I didn't even Correct. get the win. Yep. 
and Biggie can't trust me now. I really messed up here. And Biggie calls him out for it. And Kevin Owens is trying to have some sort of reasoning and trying to defend himself while also knowing that he can't. And he's reflecting by pointing it by, by bringing up, going back to Rollins and saying, no, it's his fault. It's not my fault. And he was so incredibly conflicted in that moment. And that was such good work. And then, yeah, Biggie doesn't have reason to trust him. Remember when KO took his spot in the new day and then Kevin Owens started, you know, beating them up and stuff like that. Like there's not a reason for him to, to trust Kevin Owens. And he wants to make sure that he, you know, he's looking over his shoulder and making sure Kevin Owens doesn't stun him first. Cause that's the thing. If, if, if Biggie probably thinks if I don't do this, he's going to stun me. So I, I, I got to get ahead of that. And now I'm looking forward to Rollins Owens next week. This was tremendous, <clears throat> tremendous, tremendous stuff by everybody involved. And the type of just, personality relationship dynamics that we don't typically get get in wrestling. And that's a large part because Kevin Owens feels like a real person with complicated emotions. And that's not something we get in wrestling very often. And, and by the way, Biggie too. Like Biggie, he goes out there and he, he puts his heart out there, right? This is not a typical, like even look at Drew McIntyre. Again, just drawing the comparison. When he first won the WWE title, it was fresh. He was sarcastic. He acted like a real human being. He was smart. He didn't let the heels get over on him, right? You had mm -hmm. all those great traits. And then as it wore on, and I'm not as worried about this happening with Biggie as, as it happened with Drew, but as it wore on, it got corny. And he starts wearing the kilt and bringing the sword and, mm -hmm. and you know doing the story time with Drew McIntyre and all that type of stuff. But here, you didn't just have the face um, in that smart face area. You had... The guy who is a face who we think is going to turn heel, being smart and, and 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 acting like a normal human being. And even Seth Rollins, it's rubbed off on Seth a little bit because his megalomaniacal character is almost being brought down to a humane level with Biggie and Owens talking to him in that way. So he can't laugh his way out of this. You know what I mean? Like he has to mm -hmm. actually like stand up for himself on the mic. And therefore, in the promo segment, in the match, in the post-match, every little element of this entire thing worked. And Chris, like, you know, I just got to say, one of the things I really appreciated about Raw this week, and the same cannot be said for SmackDown, is that WWE created multiple fresh storylines that will it likely extend on television past Survivor Series, maybe all the way up leading into this day one pay-per-view. They didn't worry about building right away for a pay-per-view three weeks out. They took a week to set stuff up for the future before likely doing Survivor Series stuff, I presume, starting next week. There are layers here, and that's not something we often get. And that's exciting because yeah. that makes you want to watch the next week because guess what? You don't know what's going to happen. And, and and to set up some matches for next week, you know, that that's it, it again. It's a good start to this period where we're not going to get a big payoff pay-per-view for a couple months. One last quick note on Kevin Owens. I mentioned his contract is expiring or supposed to be expiring in three months. I am really curious what all this means, because this is a pretty big angle that you're putting Owens in during a key time of your year. Right. So it could be using it to write him off. I mean, look. 
They had Daniel Bryan in main event SmackDown in a WWE title match with Roman Reigns, and he wasn't re-signing. They did specials for John Moxley, formerly mm-hmm. Dean Ambrose, and he didn't resign. Um, but it, this one feels different. Like this one almost feels like WWE going back and recognizing Kevin Owens' value, whether that's in an effort to keep him, whether that's because they are keeping him and he told them he's staying, or I don't know, but if they're doing all of this and again, setting someone up just as they did Aleister Black, you know, just, just as they did other people, set someone up where you're you're building them up into a main event character again, and then they're not going to resign with your company and go somewhere else. It potentially could be another big unforced error. Yeah, I don't know. That's going to, you know, for, for the for the smart marks out there, that's going to kind of hang over everything. And, it is. You know, Kevin Owens alluded to it on Monday. I, will he continue? I don't Will he continue to do, do so? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And lastly, here before we get to our next segment, Ben Porges at Ben Porges. He wrote in, great show. Uh, he's talking about Raw. Or he's talking about our show. Either way, both true. Uh, but or, there was no reminder or any build for the Survivor Series pay-per-view, which is only basically two Raws away, he said. It really feels like Survivor Series with all the brand-to-brand stuff, which means nothing the day after it, um, is the the event has become a glorified house show instead of the Saudi ones. So I, I think what he's trying to say is summer, it seems like Survivor Series is no longer important. I actually have almost the opposite take here. I love that they're concentrating because of the short period of time on creating individual brand storylines, knowing that you really don't need more than a one or two week build to Survivor Series because all you're doing is champion versus champion matches. And the Survivor Series pay-per-views the last like three years or so have been great. Like they've literally been awesome shows because you're getting the best wrestlers on both brands going head to head. So because these people have not been on their individual rosters very long, I don't think you need a lot of buildup. I think even if they did it one week before, but certainly two makes a lot more sense. You can space it out. I think a two-week build for Survivor Series, knowing that the fans already know what the matches are going to be, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it was great that they did it that way. Yeah, no, it it doesn't need a lot of build, and frankly, you don't want it to have a lot of build because the whole point is that it's supposed to be matchups you don't see all the time. So if we see two guys face-to-face every week for four weeks, that takes away the the special situation of the matches. Survivor Series... Being a glorified house show, no. What it's supposed to be is a one night only. Here's the special matchup you don't get very often, for the most part, type of thing. Whether that's a Big E versus Roman or a Seth versus Roman, uh, a Drew McIntyre versus Roman that they did last year, type of thing. We haven't gotten that match again. So that that's what Survivor Series has to be. The pitch as, hey, here's some new matchups you're not going to see very often, and so you only need a couple weeks to build up to it. And by the way, I'll end on this. They kind of already gave us a pre-build for Roman Reigns and Big E when they did the Bloodline versus Usos match. They kind of already gave us a build for Becky versus Charlotte Flair, not just the the real-life controversy that happened, but all the in-ring stuff they did over the last few weeks leading into Crown Jewel. So the two biggest feuds have actually already started to be built. So really, you're just building the rest, the tag team, the mid-card, you know, et cetera. So, and really, more than anything else, the five-on-five Survivor Series matches. Those are the ones that actually need to get built. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that's something you can, you know, th- th- that's honestly, that's typically what the story is going into Survivor Series. The week's building up is who's going to be on the team. And they generally do a pretty good job of telling those stories and putting a team together. So I'm excited to see 
how that comes together. All right, Chris. So with the main event in the books, let's move on to our second segment here on getting over the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I got to say, spoiler alert, and I think you guys probably understand this from the way the show started. I enjoyed this week in WWE. I mean, we have some episodes that are pretty damn negative where we go through stuff and, we're, and we actually try to find, we, we force ourselves to find goods uh, to judge and grade in this segment. Most of mine are good this week. I don't know about you, Chris. I think so, but as we go piece by piece, uh, we'll see. We'll find out. Okay, uh, so let's go back to Raw. We'll actually stay on Raw. Uh, Alpha Academy caught Biggie backstage with Chad Gable cutting, <laughs> I think, maybe the best promo of his main roster career. It, it was the best or second best promo of his main roster career. Um, it was either this or when he dropped the shorty G name when he was in the trainer's room and he was talking to Adam Pierce. Those were the two best things he's done. Uh, he said Biggie is not the face of Raw, but he could be if he accepted his help like Otis did. Biggie called Otis, I think he called him a walking thumb. Uh, Gable put himself over for getting his master's degree at Full Sail. By the way, that really happened. Congratulations to Chad Gable. Uh, turning Otis from an entertainer into a competitor. And then he gave himself a new nickname, the master Chad Gable, which damn good nickname, I gotta say. Uh, then he said he would show Biggie what he was talking about because he had a scheduled match against Finn Balor. So out of nowhere, we get Finn freaking Balor against Chad freaking Gable. Balor was going through his signature finish when Gable avoided a missile dropkick. He got a jackknife cover for a near fall. Balor then countered Gable's ankle lock into an armbar. Gable countered it back into an ankle lock. Gable rolled a fisherman suplex into a German suplex for a near fall. Balor then blocked the moonsault and hit a missile dropkick, selling the ankle. But Balor took too long to climb for the coup de grace. Gable jumped to the top rope, superplexed him off. But after they landed, Balor locked up his ankles in a cradle pinfall type of move for the win. Holy shit, man. So this was 90 minutes into Raw. I could not believe how much I was enjoying the show. This match only went six minutes. Okay, not a fan of that. But it was already, when it ended, 3.5 stars in a B. And if these guys got another 10 minutes, you're talking about an A match, maybe even better. Gable got an excused loss. He looked great in the match, and it was just happenstance that Balor won. Balor looked really good and sold the injury for Gable. Commentary put Gable over with a lot of talk about his intelligence, his master's degree. They compared him to Kurt Angle. I am, I don't know what's happening. It seems like they're pushing Chad Gable any day of the week. That's going to get a good for me on top of a great promo, on top of a very entertaining match. An obvious good to start out this segment. 100%. I mean, I mean, this is the kind of thing we want to see from Chad Gable. Like, just give him a little bit of time to fight some new opponents who can go and let him have fun. And that's what we did. Like, if these guys got 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it would have been insanely good. But I was still excited to see it. It was a fresh matchup. He got to wrestle. It wasn't like some short little thing where he looks like a dummy and you're like, oh, man, this is so much potential to just throw it away. Right. No, they gave him enough time that you can make something of it. So that was really encouraging. Um, yeah, just clear good all around on that. And you know what? This totally seems poised to be like a rematch temporary storyline for Finn Balor where he rematches Gable, Otis interferes, so Gable wins. 
Then he fights Otis, Gable, and like, like I see it going that way, but I gotta say, I would totally be okay with it. Like if there's anyone, if there's any match out there where I could watch it every week, it's Finn Balor and Chad Gable. Now I don't want that and I hope they don't do it. I'm just saying I'd be okay, especially if they keep it to like two or three total, I'd be totally fine with it. We also got a DM from J Mags at JMags316. He said, I would love to see Chad Gable keep this character going and do a full recruiting process to try to get Gable Steveson over the next couple of months to join Alpha Academy. It would build character development for Chad while they could show off Otis and Gable simultaneously. Maybe they even go and train him. It also allows Stevenson time, or Stevenson, I'm sorry, Stevenson time to build his off-screen character until he's able to actually work in WWE. I think this is a really damn good idea. I am slightly concerned, um, of course, about Chad Gable and then Gable Stevenson. And like, if WWE forces one of them to change their name, I have to assume it would be Chad Gable, but either way, he's coming back. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be concerned about that. Other than that, though, the idea of Chad Gable almost being the one to set up this training facility that we know Gable Stevenson's going to have by Minnesota. And it almost be a storyline, this training facility and and Chad Gable sending in certain people to train, maybe him and Otis going up there to train Gable Stevenson. It really is a great idea from J-Mags. I don't think WWE is going to do that, but if they did, it'd be awesome. Yeah, WWE, if you're listening, the overheads have idea. a suggestion for you. That's a great idea. Um, more than anything, you, 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 this whole Chad Gable part, I've been concerned from time to time that he might wade too much into being a manager and less a wrestler, like when he was kind of behind Otis a bit. Um, it's good that he gets chances to wrestle as well because he can do cool stuff. So let's keep it going. He's the better wrestler. I mean, Otis is fun. Don't get me wrong. Oh, for sure. They're they're, com- they're completely different. Chad I Gable, mean, I'm just saying Chad Gable's yeah. legitimately a great wrestler. And I any chance that we get to see games. him do it is good. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Over on SmackDown, Adam Pierce was at home, uh, Skyping in or Zooming in or whatever. He was furious that Brock Lesnar disrespected him and said he informed Lesnar that he not only indefinitely suspended him, but also fined him $1 million. Paul Heyman was asked his thoughts about the fine. And when he was asked about it, he fell into the old advocate character, spouting Lesnar hype and all those catchphrases and key lines before catching himself in the middle of doing that and clarifying that he it's all what he thinks Lesnar would say, not what Lesnar is actually saying. We know Heyman is incredible, but I loved how he fell into and out of the advocate role without it feeling forced or overacted or anything like that. He's just such an expert at that stuff. And I thought, you know, the Pierce stuff was fine. The Heyman stuff was incredible. This was definitely a good. Yeah, t- totally. Awesome stuff. Uh, Strange decision, I thought, Chris, for WWE not to have Roman Reigns on the entire episode, even for one minute. He was backstage. He wrestled in a dark match main event. It was Bloodline versus Hmm. Drew McIntyre and Street Profits. Yet somehow, your number one star does not show up on TV. Definitely weird. I almost wonder if it was WWE doing it on purpose because they were not satisfied with being on FS1 for the second time in three weeks. So it was like a little F you, a middle finger. Um, I don't know why they did it, but yeah, Usos are on the show. Heyman was on the show. 
Roman Reigns was not on the show. I think the viewership went up too from, from two weeks ago. Week. Yes. Yeah. From from the last FS1 one, which is notable because the, the, the previous one got all the hype. And, and, and Lesnar, Reigns, big, a bit bad. Big card and everything. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, if 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 that was if that was WWE's plan, I, I just, it didn't work or it worked. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was just weird. It was just weird not to have Reigns on at all, especially since he was there. It's one thing if he's home, you know, take a week off. That's yeah, fine. but that was the guy that in was, the arena. Yeah, it's like when John Cena would be backstage or only do one short little segment. It's like, man, if you have someone, like, yeah, why not I, use do them? do some do something with them? Yeah. So, but but you know what? It also opened up the show to other people. So yeah, you know, we talk about all the time how. They would spend 45 minutes of a two-hour SmackDown only on Roman Reigns. This week, they said, hey, you know what? We're not going to show them at all. Let other people, you know, show off. And, and in some cases, they did. Uh, staying with SmackDown, New Day and Hit Row had a really fun face interaction backstage. In the ring, Kofi Kingston announced King Woods. And he said that Woods would provide his creed. Nice reference back, of course, to his name, Austin Creed. Uh, his video game, I think, name. And he started a Hail King Woods chant. It got really loud in the arena. I, I think it's so cool that like New Day's been around seven years and the crowd doesn't care. They're going to pop for them every single time. It's awesome. Uh, then King Woods got a loud You Deserve It chant before officially knighting Kofi into Sir Kofi Kingston, Hand of the King. They got Sir Kofi and New Day Rocks chants going before the Usos interrupted and said a bunch of nothing uh, that ended with Woods challenging them. I, I just thought before we get to the match, this absolutely ruled the they already did the coronation. Now they did the knighting of Kofi. It, it just worked for me. Yeah, I, I mean we'll see how how long and how far he leans into the king gimmick. It is more of a heel gimmick, but doing it in a fun way like this makes sense uh as well as a because it fits the new day style and what they do. So yeah, it was good. And getting Kofi involved so he's not singled out, but at the same time. Woods is the king. Like Kofi's been the guy, right? He's the former WWE champion. He's the veteran. But Woods is the one getting pushed here. So for Kofi to take that secondary position, even within this, I thought was really cool and great of him. So we got the Usos versus the New Day in a tag team match. Kofi got caught on a trust fall and thrown over the timekeeper's area in a cool spot. Woods got a hot tag and then ate a really cool lifted neck breaker from Jey Uso. Jimmy then hit a pop-up Samoan drop on Kofi for a near fall. Woods blind tagged and caught Jimmy trying to pin Kofi after a super kick, rolling him sideways for the one, two, three. There was nothing wrong with the match. And I guess I'm actually glad it was short and uneventful, given we know we're going to see these teams fight all the time over the next year. But it was a strange main event for the show. And it was relatively lackluster considering these teams are capable of so much more. So I only went 3.25 stars and a B for it. It was good. I didn't find it anything special. I saw a lot of people also saying, oh my God, we're already doing Usos and New Day again. Let me clarify something. This was like their second TV match as a, in a tag team two-on-two situation in like a year. And it was the second time they had wrestled in this situation since 2018 in a two-on-two -two tag team match. So yes, we did get it forever for a very long period of time, but it is still fresh, this new incarnation of these teams. I didn't have a problem with any of it, so I did think it was good. Look, fresh or not fresh, these guys click every single time. I, I mean, they they cannot have a bad match with each other. I am always 100% interested whenever they're in the ring together. This is an all-time legendary tag team rivalry. I, 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 I have no problem with them 
doing this again now. We'll see where it goes, if it's going to continue, if it's a one-off. I don't know, but as just for what we got on Friday, zero problems with it. So you're good as well? Yes. All right. Uh, we also on SmackDown had Drew McIntyre against Mustafa Ali. This happened after McIntyre issued another open challenge. Ali said he's more athletic and more talented than Drew. McIntyre hit a couple of release belly-to-belly suplexes. Ali dodged McIntyre, missed a 450, and then avoided a Claymore. But McIntyre caught him on a Tornado DDT and turned it into a Kimura lock for a submission in like two minutes. Ali then cut a You People promo about fans choosing to root against him because of his name. Now, I'm very mixed on this. On one hand, it was great to see Ali step up against one of the top people in all of WWE and get mic time on top of it. On the other hand, it was basically a squash and Ali seems to be potentially headed for the type of character he said he never wanted. Uh, Ali said he never wanted to be an anti-American heel just because he happens to be Muslim. Now, I'm not saying that this character is going to go in that direction. It seems to me like he's talking more about the prejudice of the audience and has nothing to do with America, anti-America, or anything like that. I will also say, SmackDown has largely earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to storytelling, at least inside of WWE. So since this is all just starting, I'm going to be optimistic and cautious, aka cautiously optimistic, and say good here. But this could very easily, this Friday, go from a good immediately to an ugly, depending if we see Ali and depending what type of promo and storyline they actually end up doing with him. I I don't like this at all. I don't like the vibes of this. You laid out all the reasons why. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Jinder Mahal was the champion and basically did that same thing and said, you people are, you know, racist, essentially. Um, I am very concerned about this. Uh, We'll see. But that was not a good start for whatever's next. And like you said, you can be technical about it or not, but it goes very much against everything Mustafa Ali has said he wants to be as a wrestler. Um so I'm I'm giving this a bad um, and hopefully things turn in a better direction for that. And that's fair. I think you starting with bad is, is totally legitimate. You're a little bit less optimistic. I will say um, Ali tweeted, you have a problem with everything I said last night, but I have no problem with how everyone reacted. Who exactly is the bad guy? That made me feel, you know, a little bit optimistic. Uh, He also retweeted something that said disruptors live forever. And then he tweeted a one minute long video, actually today, uh, Tuesday, as we're talking about this, two hours ago, uh, you know, before us taping. And it basically shows that it's more about the prejudice than it is about him being anti, you know, anti-American, him being the one uh, to kind of bring that stuff forward. So look, Does WWE do nuanced booking and storytelling well in characters? No, it doesn't. Uh, Historically and even recently. However, what I was going to say, however, there are are occasions in which they have. A very good example is Kofi Mania. Um, But that started with Kofi as a face. Because Ali is starting here as a heel, it's an obvious concern. I appreciate and understand why everyone's concerned. I think historically on this podcast, you guys know I am in that camp. 
where I'm very touchy uh, about uh, certain types of storylines and 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 you know the way WWE will portray certain things. I also think this is a company that is the most diverse wrestling company on the planet right now, mm-hmm. and I don't think that they would put on their number one show some type of anti-American um, Muhammad Hassan style 9-11 storyline no. that would paint them in a bad light. They're a publicly traded company. So that's why I'm cautiously optimistic here. He's not, he's not going to be anti-American, but neither was he's Jinder Mahal. Like, people, right. people forget that. Neither <laughs> was Jinder Mahal. And Jinder Mahal's title reign was, you people don't like somebody like me being the champion. Right. You don't like when I speak this other language. And what was the result? The result was people chanting USA, USA. Like, it, he doesn't have to be explicitly saying I'm anti-American to get that kind of reaction from the crowd. If he's saying to the crowd, hey, you guys are racist, that's, I, either way, I don't think that's good. Right. Like, I, I, like if it, if it, as long as it doesn't go in that angle, I think it'll be okay. If it's more about, hey, I'm, it's about prejudice and I'm going to work against it and I'm going to prove that's you guys. Not a, but that's not a heel thing. Like, no, that, but that's, maybe that's he's turning. But maybe he's turning is what I'm saying. Right. But I'm just saying I, I, I do not trust them to balance that because I, I think the way we saw yeah. their views of gender as heel champions. So. I, I think it's I think it's fair. Um, it's up in the air. I think we both gave our legitimate cases. But for both of us, I think we both agree. It's a wait and see. It can go good. It can go ugly. Yeah, we'll see. We just have to see what they do. All right. Uh, Riddle backstage on Raw told the Dirty Dogs how much he loves dogs. They treated Riddle like an absolute idiot and told him to watch what he does carefully uh, because they're going to beat the Street Profits again and then take the titles. Riddle then dropped an incredible line. I could not find the clip to cut for the show. He goes, they said they wanted to smoke. And he goes, hey, I thought you guys would know about Rough Rough Pass. Hysterical. Okay, Uh, Riddle can do that on every show, drop references, and it'll probably pop me each and every time. After all, this is a guy who's generally really high. And whoa, I'm really high. Uh, So we got Dirty Dogs versus Street Profits in a tag team match. RK Bro was on commentary and got a remixed theme that I thought straight up slapped, Chris. Uh, What did you think about that? I didn't actually catch it. I for I, I honestly was not, I guess, paying attention at that moment. Oh, okay. I, as someone who is big on entrance music, I need to go back and find that, I guess. Longtime listeners of this show and my other shows know there's two things I demand when wrestlers get put together as a tag team. One, they get a tag team name. Two, they either get a remix theme where they get combined or they get a brand new theme. With these guys, it took them long enough to get the theme, but they got the name. The same thing happened with the Dirty Dogs. It took them forever to actually give them a name, the Dirty Dogs. Then once they gave it to them, it took them forever to use it. But once they did, they gave them a remixed entrance theme. Both of these teams have great remix themes, good names. They feel like real teams. So a very good job from WWE in terms of the presentation and the packaging of this entire thing. Uh, Angelo Dawkins in the match hit a silencer, his double underhook swinging neckbreaker. Montez Ford hit a blockbuster on the hot tag for a fall broken by Dolph Ziggler who got a blind tag and hit a really awesome pendulum DDT with Robert Roode for a fall broken by Dawkins. Dawkins got run into the post with Ford flying over the ring post for his tope. The crowd went absolutely insane for it. Suddenly, Omas came out. Cameras then completely missed Ziggler hitting Ford, I think, with a super kick because he was distracted and draping an arm over him for the fall. Omas took out Dawkins, caught and slammed Ford into the barricade and taunted officials. He then caught Riddle and threw him onto the ring. 
Orton got angry and he was ready to fight Omos and seemed like he was going towards him when WWE randomly cut away to a video package of Damian Priest and T-Bar. It was the strangest thing ever. So I don't even know how we judge this. Like, okay, we got a rematch, but it was a really exciting rematch. But the dogs just had a title match and they're probably number one contenders again. But production missed the finish and then cut away from a moment where the crowd was on absolute fire to see. So I don't know. I guess I'll say good for the wrestlers and ugly for production. Does that work? I don't know. Yeah, that that was kind of weird and kind of similar to what we got the week before. Um, it it was it was a bit abrupt. That was a good way to put it. It was also just very repetitive. Like we literally last week got the same number one contender match, and then they fought for the titles. So now they want another. They didn't say it was a number one contender match, but it basically was. Then they want it again, and now presumably they're going to fight for the titles again. But why are you doing that when RK Bro is still embroiled in the feud with AJ Styles and Omos? And by the way, we haven't seen AJ Styles in two weeks either. Right. That's the other thing I don't really know. So I don't know. I thought it was all strange. Um, so again, half good, half ugly. I guess maybe that's a bad in the middle. Yeah. But say that. it just, it was weird. However you want to judge that. So Priest, you know, after that video package, was asked in Gorilla, why he popped off last week. And he said, look, he's okay with throwing hands and fighting, but not when someone goes beyond that and actually tries to injure him. Then he said he's excited for T-Bar to meet the Damien in me, which fully confirmed they're definitely doing the split personality gimmick as we discussed last week. So we got Priest versus T-Bar in a no disqualification match. This was the second straight rematch on the show. And at first I was pretty angry that they were doing it again. That was not my opinion at the end. So T-Bar yelled in a promo that he exposed Priest last week. The match begins. Priest set up a table outside. T-Bar picked him off the top rope into a really sick avalanche Samoan drop. Priest did a spinning heel kick, a bell clap, and a broken arrow for a near fall. T-Bar then picked him off the middle rope for a chokeslam backbreaker and a near fall. He tied Priest in the ropes and broke a kendo stick on his chest. Priest then snapped and beat T-Bar with a chair, then chokeslammed him off the ring apron, threw a table outside to a massive pop. I am not exaggerating. The crowd (laughs) went wild for this. The table exploded in in a million pieces. Priest dragged him into the ring and won with the reckoning. So on a night, Chris, that had a couple surprises over the course of the night, this was my biggest. We got to see Chris Dijak, like the guy, the wrestler, the guy that we've been waiting to see throughout his entire main roster run. We got to see him wrestle on the main roster for the first time. I don't care if his name was still T-Bar. We got (laughs) to see this guy go. This was a rematch done right because it ended a short feud. There were brutal spots, but also athletic spots. And you know what else there was? There's a lot of beef out here. There was a lot of beef out in that ring. (laughs) Big meaty man slapping me. This was not a technical masterpiece by any means, but it was a perfect TV match. A very easy, good, I will say 3.25 stars and a B, four slabs of beef. I I think I'm coming around also to the updated gimmick for Priest. He was a really good foil to get Priest going here. And I could be wrong. I think there were even a couple T-bar chants during the match. (laughs) Whatever, dude, this was a win. 
so surprised, so happily surprised. What what do we say time and time again? The the best way to make somebody look good is for them to have a good, exciting match with an opponent that that pushes them. Like the the squash doesn't do anything for Damian Priest. You know what does? Having an exciting match with T-Bar. I don't care that it's it's T-Bar. The fact that T-Bar could hold his own makes Damian Priest win look better and just more look stronger essentially so this was a much better and smarter way to do it um if it is just if this was just a two-week deal to kind of set the table for damian priest and what he is moving forward that works now i don't want to get this every week and i'm i'm not i'm not going to say we're not at the end of this until i see it but that was good i'm still not sure what to make of Damien Priest gimmick. I mean, I, I like that he explained it, you know, before the match in that promo backstage. It's still a little weird. Still not sure how to feel about the eyeliner, but this the is still like so step, weird. Step, step in the direction for everybody, and I'm certainly giving this a good. Yeah. So after all of that, and that was all very exciting. Apollo Cruz comes out, and he presents himself as the next U.S. title challenger. That makes sense, I think, given his long intercontinental title run. Of course, he should want and almost even deserve a U.S. title match. And I'm glad he's getting a chance early on Raw versus just sitting there waiting in the wings. The promo was nothing special, though, and I actually didn't think he came across well. So for the Apollo Crews part, I'm going to say bad. For some reason, it worked on SmackDown, and it it just almost feels like it's not going to work on Raw. Um, It feels like a very I- corny moment on a show that may normally be corny, but was not corny this week. I I don't I I don't know what to think of what he said. The only thing I can think about is the imagery behind him with the steps. Was that new or did I just notice this for the first time? Well, so I know the augmented reality lions and some of that other stuff they had done. Right. I think those stairs since they started touring live again and they did his entrance, I think they were included in it. But if I, not, I yeah, I, if not, it was a different background. It was. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was a new background or if I just it cool noticed though. it. But yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it was that cool. that was incredible. It looked like he was literally standing in front of, like a throne. Like they, it, it was such a good setup. And they, WWE's done that certain times. Sometimes during a match when they have the SmackDown logo on there, if you look at the bottom of the screen, they like add rows of fans in like shadows so if the camera's low on the ring it looks like the crowd goes way far back on that side they've done some really creative stuff with that screen and i don't the, the number one thing i took away from this segment was that that background that apollo had when he was talking looked really freaking cool so <laughs> I, I i i i'm between good and bad kind of a tba on that whole front but i don't know i guess i'm I guess I'm leaning good because that's kind of my reaction coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I say bad, I, honestly, I think it was, I was looking for something to say bad this week. Like, I just, I don't know, man. The it gimmick, was kind of whatever, but I the, thought that was a cool thing. The gimmick and the fake accent, it's like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against it. You guys know I was bullish on it when it first started. It just kind of feels like it's almost gone on too long. Like, do you remember when, or I don't even know if you were watching at the time, but when Jack Swagger came back and he did the We mm-hmm. the People gimmick and yeah. he ran it through WrestleMania? And you're like, oh, you know what? This is a topical kind of cool, interesting gimmick. You know, they're, they're doing something different with him. And then he lost. And then it just like they kept doing it. And yeah. it was like, then they kept doing it and they kept doing it. And you're like, 
I don't know. Maybe it should have been a short gimmick, not a long. I'm fine with the character and the gimmick. Just his his character needs to be more more than being so two dimensional. I just looked at it. You got to add more. You got to add more layers to him after going through what he's been through. I just looked at it on a show that had a lot of reality to it, which you pointed out earlier with the Kevin Owens stuff and the and the women's promos and uh, you know Rollins and Biggie and and Ziggler and Rude and the Street Profits. All all of that stuff that felt really real and legitimate. And then you have a guy cosplaying a African king or yeah. royalty. And it just kind of felt like out of place uh, with everything else that was happening on Raw. That's what it was. It felt yeah. out of place. And that's why, I, that's why I didn't like it. All right, moving back to SmackDown. Uh, Jeff Hardy was backstage. He said he's excited to get a fresh start on SmackDown and hopes to challenge for the universal title. Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss interrupted with a stupid joke that Hardy appropriately no-sold. That didn't accomplish much of anything. We had Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs against Corbin and Moss in a trick or street fight. There were jack-o'-lanterns on the ring apron. The match was tornado style. Reggie randomly jumped into the ring with the 24-7 losers chasing him. Boogs dunked Moss's head in a bath of apples. And the faces ate some apples with Pat McAfee. Boogs beat the heels with pumpkins and a skeleton. Then Nakamura joined with kendo sticks. McIntyre quoted Lil Wayne. And Moss put a pumpkin on Nakamura's head, interrupting Kinshasa. Suddenly, two skeletons hit Boogs with kendo sticks, and Moss hit a neckbreaker onto a pumpkin for the win. The skeletons took off their masks and revealed themselves to be Humberto Creo and Angel Garza. Just like with the AEW costume match that we talked about last week, this was entertaining. It made me laugh in a couple parts. But just because it made me laugh doesn't mean overall it was good. The comedy wrestling stuff to this degree, it's just not for me. So I don't hate if anyone disagrees. If you thought it was good, I get it. But you have the Intercontinental Champion losing again and a tag team feud setting up where there's a guy who never defends his signals title. I liked that Creo and Garza were involved in a big moment. I am curious that it seems like they're going to be pushing them. That's solid. But top to bottom overall, Corbin, Madcap Moss, all the way to the end of this, I'm saying bad. I mean, it just kind of goes into what, what, you know, a segment between these teams was always going to be kind of comedy anyway, with or without the pumpkin. So, I mean, I'm giving a, I'd give a bad on just the general mix of people, but I'll give it a good for what it was. It was meant to be a weird gimmicky Halloween deal that you don't think about more than two seconds after it's over. And and it did that. So, I, I mean, I'm giving it a good, not that it was a strength of the show, but it was what it was. And honestly, it's different. I mean, it's different. You compare it to, you know, the AEW thing, which was, that was the main event. That was top guys, champions, right. stuff like that. And obviously you got the hangman reveal and it was awesome and stuff like that. But, you know, I think there's also a point to um, how much emphasis is being put on that type of match and not, and otherwise. And I, honestly, I'll just say this because I, I wasn't on the AEW show, but, you know, for all the talk about AEW being wrestling and not sports entertainment, you know, the, these elite <laughs> yep. gimmick matches are the definition of sports entertainment. And you know what? That's fine. There's a place for that in, in this. I just wanted to point that out that AEW does sports entertainment. Too. They absolutely, they, AEW does sports entertainment and WWE does wrestling. Yeah. Both are both is if there is, if you're judging proportion, is there a greater proportion of wrestling and a little bit less sports entertainment on AEW versus WWE? Absolutely. There's no doubt they're different products, uh, but let's not act like, AEW does not do sports entertainment because as you just noted, they absolutely do. Uh, moving on, Zelina Vega and Carmella were on Raw complimenting each other backstage before complimenting Super Brutality to their faces, mostly talking about 
Nikki Ash's mask. And then once they walked away, laughing behind their backs. Mello said they and all the women in the division were beneath them. Uh, so Nikki Ash issued a challenge. So we got super brutality against Zelina Vega, or I'm sorry, King Zelina, sorry, Queen Zelina. Let me try that a third time. Uh, Queen Zelina and Carmella in a non-title match. I mentioned earlier uh, the champions contenders match, whatever they called it on SmackDown with Charlotte Flair and Shotzi Blackheart. I'm sorry, Shotzi. Um, <laughs> this one didn't have a name, despite it basically being a champions contenders match. Anyway, Nikki hit Zelina with a great swinging neckbreaker for a fall broken by Mella, who threw Ripley into the ring post and barricade outside. Nikki got distracted by Mella, giving Zelina an opening to catch her with a code red for the win in eight minutes and 15 seconds. So this was basically, speaking of AEW, an AEW women's match in terms of the length of time. But there was one commercial break instead of the double commercial break. Look, this was an improvement over the Queen's Crown shit. I know we probably shouldn't judge every women's segment versus Queen's Crown, but this accomplished what I've been talking about when it comes to women's matches on television. Don't give us three or four women's matches if they're all going to be two minutes. Instead, give us you know, one long match, which we got to open the show, the, the 8 p.m. basically main event with Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch, and then just give us one other match that's a decent length. They accomplished that here. Um, so look, there was nothing wrong with it. They, they're creating new tag team challengers. We thought it was going to be Zelina and Mella. It is going to be Zelina and Mella. I didn't love that they beat the champions, but overall, I'm going to say good. I just wish they were a little bit smarter with it. Yeah. And I, I said this last week, but I like that Zelina is winning after getting the crown. I was concerned that right. she'd go into a Corbin type of thing where you lose a bunch, but you you, you just the queen is your gimmick. Uh, but that's not the case. She's in storylines. She's in matches and she's winning matches. So um, I don't like that the tag team champions lost, but you can only get so many things. You can only ask for so much, I guess, out of a women's segment. So, um, yeah, no, this was good, though. And it was a real heel finish. She has a finisher, the code red, which is, by the way, of course, a spectacular move. Um, and, you know, we didn't get a roll up or any bullshit. So really, what's there to hate on this? I mean, again, other than the champions losing and not just booking smarter and creating maybe a tag team tournament or something or a gauntlet match to create number one contenders. Mm -hmm. This is lazy booking a little bit, but we got a good match, got the women wrestling, got a real finish. I mean, it's a win. So again, good mm -hmm. for me. A mm -hmm. uh, couple more things before we get out of here. Rey Mysterio versus Austin Theory. Like last week, Theory taunted the Mysterios backstage. There was a cool spot outside where Rey was in Theory's arms and Dominic spun Rey's legs so he could use the momentum and hit a tornado DDT outside. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty inventive and cool. Uh, Mysterio hit a seated senton and a springboard crossbody for a near fall. There was a great sequence of counters before Theory hit a basement dropkick on Dominic at ringside. Ray Huracaranad him into the ropes. So Dominic slapped Theory when his face was hanging over the ropes. Then Ray hit a 619 and a springboard frog splash. But as Ray went for the cover, the referee saw Dominic somehow and called the disqualification. Ray didn't even get mad at Dominic after. So I think they dropped that whole like father-son butting heads thing. The problem here is that in a rare occasion, the referee's back was actually turned and he did not see the disqualification in reality. Now, maybe he heard it because it was a slap in kayfabe. Other than that, this was a super entertaining match. Theory continues to prove he can go with anyone. He got to fight Ray freaking Mysterio. He's fought Ray Mysterio and Jeff Hardy in, in 
uh, three of his four, I think, matches on Raw to this point. He remains undefeated. I went three stars and a B minus for me because of the DQ, but it was actually a unique type of DQ and somewhat refreshing if a DQ can be refreshing. I just, I didn't have a problem with it. And a one-time rematch, if they do it once more, is going to be okay. So again, good. I just don't have a lot of bads and uglies this week. I think you're talking me into liking it more than I did at the time. Mostly because this Dominic and Ray story is just so played out and they're costing each other matches and it's been going on for months and I just want them to break up or something to happen. And to me, it was a little more of a creative way to do the DQ, but just feels like we're just continuing to postpone the inevitable and I'm just waiting for it to happen at this point. I didn't hate it. Like, I don't want to give it a bad but I, it, it didn't do anything for me. I'm kind of just in between that good and bad spot, which is kind of okay. I may have given it a bad if the match wasn't so good. The match was yeah, just the, so the super entertaining. Good. The match was good. And if you, if, if, if that's the, the dip is, if, if that's the thing that tips it over, sure. But again, it's another one of those things where it happened. I'm not going to think about it any, you know, five, five minutes after it's done. Sure. Uh, over on SmackDown, we had Naomi against Shayna Baszler in a singles match. There was no referee, and Sonya explained that was because the scheduled referee was injured. So she made herself the guest ref and put on a shirt. Baszler put Naomi in a knee bar, but she responded with a hurricanrana and bulldog into the middle turnbuckle. Then she tripped on a springboard move. I do not think it was purposeful and hit it in Seguri with DeVille refusing to count. Baszler rolled her over and Sonya did a fast one, two, three for the screw job win. Naomi got in Sonya's face, but got caught in the Kirifuda clutch. Naomi then later called out Sonya and Shayna in a solid backstage promo, daring them to go after her clean without any BS. This one's tough for me. Obviously, the short match was purposeful due to the screw job booking. But you can do the exact same thing and let the women wrestle five or six minutes before doing it. It's really not that tough to, to just book something a little bit better. The storyline's interesting. I will say it seems to be going down, like the arrow's pointing down on it. So I'm going to say bad here. It wasn't terrible by any means, but I'm not as enthusiastic about this as I used to be. I, this didn't work for me because the whole thing felt awkward. And I think part of that was you knew exactly how it was going to end. And so as soon as they start the match, you're just waiting for the end to happen. Like, like you, right, she's going to do a quick count. We know it's going to end like, just get to it and you kind of had to wait a few minutes and the match was a bit sloppy to start because I think everybody just kind of <laughs> was figuring out how to get to that point. Sonia's positioning as a referee was not great. She was just like on top of them the whole time. And right, right. It was just kind of, it was like, I get what they were going for, but this one just didn't hit out, giving it a bad. Uh, Sami Zayn told Sonia that not having him on the show was a mistake and he started pitching himself to be a Survivor Series team member when WWE just suddenly cut away from it. Now, I could not tell if this was a production error or if it was 100% purposeful to play into the conspiracy theory gimmick. Uh, and if it was purposeful to like, just like you'd cut someone's mic, you'd cut them off um, from TV, then I love it and I give it a good. But if not, then there's just nothing to judge about it. So it's a conditional good, I will say. Um... Yeah, it's another one. It's just like I don't even know. To, I don't even know to grade it. It's like it's not much. Um, I know we force some of these. Sure, yeah. I I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if he yeah, haven't really been doing. 
I don't know. I just, I really have no reaction. I have no grade to give, I guess. I just kind of got to wait and see. That's fine. I kind of forced it in there. I just wanted to talk about Sammy. Again, it just, the only reason I brought it up was if it's purposeful and like they're going to keep cutting him off and not giving him the screen time, I think that's pretty smart and unique. And I'm still Mm -hmm. waiting for that documentary we were supposed to get. Uh, Lastly, Reggie on Raw was talking to John Morrison, who was still meditating. The 24-7 guys attacked. Reggie got away. And both R-Truth and Tazawa told Drake Maverick they were ready to give up. Miz, by the way, got eliminated from Dancing with the Stars. So it feels like they're literally just waiting to give Morrison something to do until Miz comes back. And they're probably just going to pick up the feud. Uh, So look, it sucks that Morrison hasn't done anything. I'll give a shred of credit to them trying to do a storyline with the 24-7 guys. But this is just bad overall as it normally is. Yeah. Um, It's nothing. It's stupid. It's the same thing we say every week. There's so many fun things you could do with this belt and they don't do it. And it's a real shame because I think... I think Drake Maverick's really talented. I think um, Reggie's really talented and they just do nothing and it sucks. I also thought it was notable just really quick before we get out of here. Um, we didn't see Keith Lee on the show. We also haven't seen Karrion Cross in weeks. Mm-hmm. And Elias, we got a couple of those vignettes and they just completely stopped airing them and he's disappeared. So I found it strange that some of these wrestlers um, that were being repackaged or packaged or fresh or new, whatever, are not showing up. Now, Keith Lee not being on the show one week, not a big deal. If he's back next week squashing someone, it's fine. The most notable of all of them is Karrion Cross. This is a guy you were putting on every week. He was getting really bad reception. He went away for one week. He came back, did a promo in a suit. We're like, oh my God, this is awesome. Then he shows up in the same stupid gladiator gear. So I do wonder when it comes to Cross, if maybe they're hitting the reset button. And if they are, thank God they did it. We'll find out. Yes, hope so. We'll see. Okay, so that is it for this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We had plenty to talk about in what was largely, I say, a down week in terms of monumental happenings. Like I said, there wasn't any big news uh, that came out this week about WWE. Uh, But still, a couple really solid shows. I thought SmackDown was solid. Raw was great. And for the first time in a long time, I'm really looking forward to watching Raw this upcoming Monday Mm-hmm. And if they go back to back with a couple good episodes, hey, maybe maybe they have something. Maybe they're on an upswing. Maybe they've changed something with the booking or writing. I don't know. Um, but I'm at least excited to see what they possibly can do. What you guys can do. You getting overheads. You listeners of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You can remember that this show. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review. Tell people why you love the show, why you listen. Tell them why they should subscribe. Every single five-star rating and review helps massively. So please, please go ahead and do that. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That's it for today. We will be back on Thursday with our AEW and NXT show, so do not forget to tune in for that. And then we'll be back next week for our next WWE show on Tuesday. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.